Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You are going to die. Have you come to grips with that fact? You are not going to live on this earth forever. Significant people live their lives with one eye on the clock as it winds down to mark their departure date. And they keep the other eye on a calculator, determining how to multiply their influence for the kingdom of God. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, we don't like to think about it much, but the truth is we're all going to die someday. And the reality of death should impact the way we live. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress teaches that people who want to lead an extraordinary life live with the end in mind. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. With the month of February coming to an end, we're bringing our study on choosing the extraordinary life to a close as well. And I don't want you to miss out on receiving your copy of my book by the same title. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive a hardbound copy of Choosing the Extraordinary Life. As you go through each chapter, you'll begin to see God's plan for your life unfold. And when you apply the biblical principles of my book, you'll start to live the story God wants to tell through you. In addition, I'll also include my exclusive brochure called The Elijah Map. This six-panel resource shows you the geographical highlights of Elijah's ministry and what it looks like to follow God's unique purpose and plans for your life. And then, just a brief word about the upcoming Pathway to Victory Tour to Israel. It's only two months away. The dates are April 25th through May 5th. And I'll guarantee you will come back inspired and refreshed. There's nothing like strolling through the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed or observing the Lord's Supper in front of the empty tomb where Jesus conquered the grave. Do something powerful for yourself and your spiritual life that you will never regret and reserve your spot on the Pathway to Victory Tour to Israel by going to ptv.org. We'll say more about these opportunities later in the program. But right now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 as we begin looking at the seventh secret to a significant and successful life, living with the end in mind. Today, we've come to the final secret from Elijah's life for a significant and successful life, and that is significant people live their lives with the end in view. That is, they're always thinking about the legacy they're going to leave behind. All of us are going to leave a legacy behind. It may be a legacy of evil. It may be a legacy for good. It may be a legacy of making no difference whatsoever. But if we're going to leave a lasting legacy for the kingdom of God, it means we have to have the right perspective about life. Secondly, we have to utilize the right principle for living. And thirdly, we have to embrace the right priority. Today, we're going to talk about having the right perspective for a lasting legacy. And the perspective is simply this. Your past is prologue to your future. If you want to know what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind, just look at where you've already traveled in life. 
Legacies don't happen overnight. They're the accumulation, accumulation of many days and months and years. And if you want to know what people are going to remember about you, what legacy you're going to live, take a moment and look at your past. You know, it was interesting how Elijah spent the final day of his life. As we're going to see today in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah knew his time of departure had come. So he took his protege on a trip, not to their favorite hamburger joint, but they went to several significant places in Elijah's life where Elijah learned some important uh, words and important lessons from God. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want you to notice each of these four places where Elijah took Elijah. Now, as Chuck Swindoll points out in his commentary on Elijah's life, these were not random places that Elijah went to. They were places that had deep spiritual meaning, both for Elijah and the Israelites. And I think they're representative of the things that we need to remind those we leave behind about regarding our life as well. Notice the first place that Elijah took Elijah was a place called Gilgal. It was the place of beginning. Look at verse 1 of 2 Kings 2. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, according to Joshua 4.19, Gilgal was the first place that the Israelites camped out after they had crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. And so it was the beginning, uh, the spiritual beginning of their new life in the promised land. And so Elijah wanted to go there to remind himself and Elijah that there was a spiritual beginning in our lives, a spiritual beginning in our nation, and here it is. Do you have such a place? Is there a place or a time you can point to, to those you leave behind and say, this is where without a doubt, I trusted in Christ as my savior. And you can know for sure I'm in heaven because of that. We all need those Gilgals, those places of beginning. Secondly, Elijah took Elisha to Bethel. This was a place of prayer. Look at verse two. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The name Bethel means house of God. And you remember, this is the place where Abraham built a memorial, really a pile of rocks to God. It was a place he prayed, he sacrificed after God made him the promise of being a great, great uh, nation. Genesis 12, 8, Bethel. It was a place of prayer, a place of communing with God. I'm sure as Elijah and Elisha walked down the streets of Bethel, uh, they thought about not only Abraham's experience there, but I have to believe that Elijah probably told Elisha about the Bethels throughout Israel, places memorials, places of prayer where Elijah had poured out his heart to God. I'm sure there was a Bethel at Kareth, the brook, where Elijah had to pray every day that God would bring the or ravens who would bring the food that he needed to exist. I'm sure he prayed at the widow's house at Zarephath. Perhaps he had a little private room where he prayed 
that that container would stay full of the uh, flour and oil needed for their sustenance. I'm sure he thought about that upper room where he prayed that God would miraculously raise the widow's son from the dead. I think he probably thought about the Bethel, the memorial at Mount Carmel, where he prayed, first of all, for the fire to come and consume the sacrifice. And later, he crouched down on the ground and prayed for the rain to come. He talked about those significant moments, places in his life where he talked to God. I think that's what he pointed out to Elisha as he prepared him for his departure. Do you have those places? Places you can look back to, places right now where you can recall pouring out your heart to God. Maybe surrendering a child to God who has become a prodigal and having to turn that child over to God. Maybe pouring out your heart to God after you've lost your mate, either through death or desertion. Maybe praying to God, expressing your disappointment over the death of a dream that you've had. Part of our book of remembrance is being able to point out those Bethels, those places of prayer in our life. The third site that Elijah wanted to go before he was translated into heaven was to Jericho, which represented the place of battle. Look at verse four of 2 Kings 2. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now you remember the significance of Jericho. Remember the walls around Jer Jericho, the Canaanite city, uh, formidable walls that were a barrier to inheriting the promised land. And of course, we know the story of Joshua and his men marching around that wall seven times a day. Six, times, six days, seven times a day, nothing happened. But on the seventh day and the seventh time, the trumpet blew and the people shouted and the walls came down. It was a place of battle. The walls of Jericho. Somebody has said that Jericho represented to the Israelites what Normandy represents to the allied forces. It was the place of conquest, reclaiming battle ground that had been forfeited to the enemy. You know, I think probably Elijah, as he talked to Elisha, not only recounted that story about Joshua to his young mentoree, but I think he probably also talked to Elisha quite honestly about his own Jerichos, the own battles he had faced in his life. I'm sure he talked about the verbal fencing that he engaged in in Samaria as he stood in the palace and, and argued with Ahab and pronounced judgment on him. I think he probably thought about the battle for the gods on Mount Carmel as he did battle against the prophets of Baal and Asherah. I think he maybe told Elijah quite honestly about the personal battles he dealt with, battles against depression when he crawled up under that juniper tree and prayed for God to take his life. He may have told him about the time that he hid in the cave at Mount Horeb running away from God and God's calling on his life. I think he was honest with him about the battles he had faced. And I think part of the legacy you and I leave behind to our family, to our friends, is not to tell them everything, but to tell them honestly some of the things we've struggled with. Maybe you struggle with temptations to immorality. Maybe you have trouble controlling your anger. 
Maybe there's been a time when you've severely questioned the existence or the relevance of God in your life. Part of the legacy you leave behind is honesty about those battles and how you overcame them with God's help. I think that's what Elijah did at Jericho, the place of battle. And then finally, he took Elisha to the Jordan River, which represented the place of departure for Elijah. Look at verse 6. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now this is the place where God would catch Elijah up into the whirlwind and he would go to heaven. You know, as you look in Scripture, that verse, it's appointed unto every person who wants to die in the judgment it applies to everybody except two people in Scripture. Did you know there were two people who never died? Anybody remember the first one who escaped death? Who was it? Enoch. You're reading through your Bible in a year like I am. You probably came to Genesis 5 a few days ago. Enoch was walking with God, and he was not, the Bible said. God took him to heaven. Elijah was the second person who escaped death. There's going to be a future generation of Christians who are alive when the rapture occurs. And the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4, they're not going to die. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. That group of Christians, when the rapture occurs, are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But instead of getting hung up on that, as interesting as it is, the reason I want us to look at this is, I want us to look at Elijah's experience of being caught up because what he said to Elisha immediately before his departure are the words that Elisha remembered the most. Let's look at the account of Elijah's departure, beginning in verse 8 of 2 Kings 2. And Elijah took his mantle. Now, his mantle was not some big piece of wood or metal. It represented his cloak, an article of clothing. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together, see, and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Just as like their, their ancestors had done, they walked on dry ground across the Jordan River. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. What was he asking for? He was referring to an Israelite inheritance law that said the firstborn should receive a double portion of the father's estate. Now, Elisha didn't care about money, but by asking for a double portion of God's spirit, he was saying, Elijah, I want to be your spiritual firstborn. I want to be your successor. That's what I'm asking for. And look at verse 10. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, Elijah believed Elisha was to be his successor. God had said that. He had spent time training Elisha. But what he was saying to Elisha is, ultimately, this is God's decision. And the way you will know whether or not you are my successor is if you see me when I'm translated into heaven, then you will know you're the one to follow me. Verse 11, 
Then it came about as they were going along and talking that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elijah saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. That's a sign of grief, the normal grief for any believer. Even if we know our loved one is heaven, it's natural to grieve. He tore his own clothes into two pieces. And then he took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. As Elijah was being translated into heaven, his mantle, his cloak fell down. So Elijah took it up and he returned and he stood by the bank of the Jordan and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? What he was asking was, God, I did see it, but am I really the successor? Am I really the successor? So he takes up this mantle, this cloak, and notice what he does with it. He struck the waters with it, and they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. That was a sign that, in fact, this mantle now belonged to Elisha, and he would be the new prophet of God. Now, this is what I want you to see. Preparing a legacy that lasts requires preparing those who we're going to leave behind, passing the baton of faith to them. And one of the most important things you can do to make sure you have a legacy that lasts is to make sure you prepare those you're gonna leave behind for your inevitable day of departure. You may not know exactly when it's going to be, but you know it's going to be. Prepare them for it. How do we prepare those we leave behind for our departure? Make sure, first of all, you can tell them with certainty you're going to a better place. Be sure you recount to them the circumstances that led to your trusting in Jesus as your Savior. That's the greatest legacy you can leave behind. Make sure you impress upon them what really matters in life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. They'll remember that. They'll remember that. That is part of leaving a lasting legacy. What lessons did Elijah leave for Elisha in those final moments he spent with him? Both by word and example, he impressed upon him two important principles that I want to leave you with today. Write these down. First of all, first of all, Elijah taught Elisha that God's power is not limited to a particular time or place. God's power is not limited to a particular time or place. Elijah was saying to Elisha, look, I'm about to go, but nothing of God is changing at all. The same God who protected me and empowered me is going to do the same for you as well. And you can trust on him. You know, the same thing is true for us today. The same God who was the God of Elijah and Elisha in 850 BC is the same God today. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though 3,000 years have elapsed since Elijah's life, in all of those years, God's power has not atrophied one iota. 
He is as strong today as he was 3,000 years ago. He's strong enough to take care of you, to watch out for you, to accomplish his purpose in your life. And that's why I say God's power is not limited to a particular time or a particular place. Secondly, Elijah taught Elisha that God's power is not limited to a particular person. As we're going to see next time, Elijah and Elisha weren't alone on this little trip down memory lane. There were some people, some prophets, enrollees in the school of the prophets that we'll talk about who were following them around as well. And they were at the Jordan and saw Elijah caught up into heaven. And look at verse 15, 2 Kings 2. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw Elijah, they said, the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. When they saw Elisha part the waters with that mantle that Elijah had left behind, they said, the same spirit is now with Elisha. You see, these old prophets, they thought Elijah was the only one God could work through. He was the guy for them, Elijah, Elijah. Nobody could replace him, or so they thought. But when they saw Elisha, performed the same miracle that Elijah had, they said, hey, God is working through him just like he did through Elijah. You know, in Christian circles, we all get caught up in the cult of personality. We say, there'll never be another and fill in the blank, whatever name you want to fill in there. Great Christian preacher, great Christian leader. But as Chuck Swindoll says, when the man of God dies, nothing of God dies. God can work through anyone. Yes, God worked through Moses, but he also worked through his successor, Joshua. Yes, God worked through David, but God also worked through his son, Solomon. Yes, God empowered Elijah, but he also empowered Elisha. The same is true for you. The best use of your life is to spend your life serving God, following him faithfully. But the time will come, God will call you home. And if you have prepared a successor, you have built a legacy that lasts, you have successfully passed on the baton of faith to your children, your grandchildren, to your friends, then the work of God goes on long after you have departed. To live your life with the end in view, to leave a legacy that lasts, requires having the right perspective. But it also means utilizing the right principle for living and also embracing the right priority in living, both of which we're going to look at next time. All month long, we've been tracing the footsteps of Elijah in a study I've called Choosing the Extraordinary Life. And while there's still time, I want you to take advantage of the resources I've prepared for you that will extend the impact of this study long beyond the month of February. For example, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure you receive a hardbound copy of my best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. Some of our listeners have already told us they plan to use this book in their small group Bible study or read my book together with their book club. And that's great because it comes with an exclusive life application guide. And thank you for your generous gift. I can assure you God will use whatever amount you choose to give as a means for reaching people who need Him. 
You see, when we present Pathway to Victory, we never know how somebody might respond. I was encouraged to hear from this gentleman in New York City. His name is Lloyd, and he wrote, Pastor Jeffress, I grew up in a Christian home with a mother who was a stalwart of the faith. I accepted Christ at a young age, but as an adult, I strayed far from the path. I've made mistakes that are like a ball and chain around my neck and feet, and now I'm asking God to help me come home. I love the raw, unfiltered honesty of Lloyd. He admits that he's prone to wander, prone to leave the God he loves, and he wants help finding his way home. When you give to Pathway to Victory, you play a key role in touching lives just like Lloyd's. Thank you so much for giving generously. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request a copy of the best-selling book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. To request the book, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you both the CD and DVD sets for the Choosing the Extraordinary Life teaching series. Remember, this special offer won't be available much longer, so be sure to get in touch right away. Request the complete Choosing the Extraordinary Life teaching set when you call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail right to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Wishing you a great weekend, then join us next time for a message called Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. That's Monday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.